again like to welcome you to our study tonight, and our topic will be on strong delusion, the strong delusion, and our focus scripture will be taken from 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, and it says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. Amen. So we're going to look at, at that because one of Satan's greatest weapons today is deception. And the Bible warns us that in the end times, that that would be the, the mark and his most powerful weapon is to lie. Amen, to deceive. In fact, the scripture says if it were possible, he would deceive the very elect. So we're going to look at the origin of deception in this study. And of course, that goes all the way back to Lucifer, to Satan. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15, it reads, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness." And in those three verses, there is so much that we could unpack tonight about Satan's origin and what he was. But uh, this study is going to limit um, the direction to truth and, of course, the origin of sin and deception. Verse 17 tells us the point at which Satan sinned. It said, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of of thy brightness. Sometimes our thinking can get corrupted when we have pride. So the first sin was pride and with it comes along something else, self-deception. He goes on to say in Isaiah that I shall be like the Most High. In other words, I shall be God. So Satan's wisdom cracked really, I have to say, because he deceived himself into thinking that he could be like the Most High. And of course, he sinned. It says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And because of that now, deception, as I said, has become Satan's most powerful weapon. In fact, Jesus told us this in his discussion with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, And verse 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Verse 45, and because I tell you the truth, he believed me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do we not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. 
ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Of course, today, always in the news is what is true and what is false, and we hear all these words about fake this and fake that. But the Bible tells us that when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he would lead us into all truth. And one of the things that a lie will do is try and bring doubt. That is Satan's weapon, to bring doubt. Does God love me? Am I going to have an answer to prayer? Is this going to work out? He will sow the seeds of doubt. And that goes to questioning God's word. Questioning the word. Now we're going to look at the origin of this in Genesis, in chapter 3 and verse 1. And you know the story of how mankind fell. But I want to bring out something that I think I've taught before, but I think it's worth bringing out now because I think that this uh, inst- instance of, of um, fakeness and lies and people not understanding truth is not going to get less as we approach his coming, but is going to grow. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? He was asking a question. The way he asked it was to plant seeds of doubt. Hath God said he shall not eat of every tree of the garden? See, that's his approach, to start to ask questions to plant the seeds of doubt. He will always come to question God's word or to twist God's word in whatever way he can, to bring doubt into our lives. In Luke chapter 4, verse 3, when he was tempting Jesus again, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. And Matthew 4, 6, If thou be the Son of God, he will always come with a question, plant a question so that he can bring doubt. Luke chapter 4, verse 9. And he brought him to the Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, if God loves you, why is this happening to you? If you're a child of the King, why are you going through this? If you're going to be saved, then how come all these things are happening to you? And we see that Eve followed along. But there's something about human nature that we have to understand. When we want to do something, we won't question and investigate it too much. Let's look at the story a little bit deeper. Let's look at the very first lie. He told the woman, after she told him that God said we should not touch it or eat of it, in Genesis 3, 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. That was probably the first lie because that is in complete contradiction to what God's word was. Remember what I said Satan does? He will question God's word. God had said, the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here he's countermanding God's word. He shall not surely die. Now, with a lie comes a justification. When you want to believe something, it doesn't take you much to accept it. In the world of martial arts in judo, the way you defeat an opponent is to pull them in the direction they are 
wanting to go. It's quite apparent to me in my belief is that Eve wanted to eat this fruit. All she needed was something to give her a justification to do it. And this is the weakness of the flesh. We, when we are going to sin and we know better, we look for a justification, a rationalization. Well, it's because of this uh, something made me do it. So Satan was very clever. He gave her a justification for doing what she already wanted to do. Genesis 3, 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When uh, people want to believe something, what I found is they don't investigate it. They take the very first thing that lines up with the direction they're going. When they don't want to know the truth, they won't go seeking truth. The Bible says that when we seek truth, we shall find it. When we knock, it shall be opened. But we see here that Eve just took whatever Satan said and did not question him. She just accepted it. And he was so clever to give her an excuse that pleased her flesh. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This was all it took. She knew what God had said, but she needed a justification to do what she really wanted to do. So why was the woman deceived? How come she was deceived? And we know this because in the New Testament, it tells us so. And in fact, she herself, when questioned, uh, tells Adam that the serpent deceived her. But why was she so easily deceived? And the answer is because she wanted to be. When we look at what's going on in the world today and what people believe, it's because they want to be deceived that they are believing some of the things that they are otherwise would know to be a lie. Let's read on further. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. You know what she was doing? She was starting to look through the eyes of the flesh. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, as I said, why did this happen? Because I believe she wanted. There were many things she could have done if she wanted to test the, the, the truth or the veracity of what the serpent was saying. The Bible tells us that for everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life. And all of these things come not from the Father, but from the world. Most of the, the things that the flesh wants falls into one of those three categories. The things that pleases the flesh, the things that pleases the eyes, and the things that pleases our, uh, our psyche, pride. That's what the world will provide for us. That's what Satan will serve up. And all it will take is some small justification for us to go along. Let's look at that in terms of the situation in the garden. The lust of the flesh is fulfilled when she said it was a tree to be desired. It looked pretty. It looked like it could give good fruit. Lust of the eyes saw that the tree was good for food. And the pride of life, it appealed to her sense because it was going to make her like God. 
to make one wise. That's all the justification she needed to believe a lie. Completely opposite to what God had told her. 1 Thessalonians tells us this, 5.21, prove all things. Prove all things. As Christians, if we are going to follow scripture, we're, we're not to believe the first thing that we, we hear. We're, we're to prove it. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. If she had held on to the word of God, she would not have sinned. Let's look at this. Acts 17.10. Paul, when he was preaching to the Bereans, he, he noted that when he preached, they weren't taking his word for it. Don't believe the preacher. You have to prove all things. You have to look up the scripture yourself. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. You can't just listen to what the preacher is saying. You need to go and look it up yourself. Now, the proof, I believe, that she wanted to do this was that she could have asked. She never investigated. When people send me all kinds of things and they say, you know, look what this is do saying or this YouTube video, you know what I do? I go check it out. I do some research. I don't just believe it. I go and I run references. I go and look it up. Because we have the ability to check for truth. That's what the scripture before said. Prove all things. She could have asked Adam. The Bible tells us that Adam was not deceived. He knew all of this was a lie. 1 Timothy 2.13 For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Verse 14 is a revelation that is not in Genesis. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. He knew that what the serpent had said was a lie. He did what he did knowingly. She was deceived, but he was not. If she had wanted, she could have just asked Adam, and he could have told her, Nope, Eve, this is, this is not true. This is just a lie. You don't have to believe what this serpent is saying. Anytime we get any kind of word that is going to affect our lives, we need to check it out. We need to verify it by the word of God. That's why we have the Bible. It's given to us as the measuring stick for all truth. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. So if she had asked Adam, I believe he would have said, no, don't do it. But she didn't want to do that because somewhat, some people have the philosophy it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. So we see here that sin came into the world because she wanted to. It appealed to her flesh. She never asked. So the next step of deception is when everything is labeled fake. Right? If everything is labeled fake, then how do you know truth? We see this when Jesus was brought before Pilate, John 18.37. 
The Jews were saying, this man is a, is a, um, against Rome. He's, he's, a, he's wanting to overthrow the Roman government. John 18.37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now that's a very critical statement. Because this is how you can judge people. Let me read it again. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. In other words, everyone that is of the truth is going to listen to Jesus, is going to end up being a follower of Jesus. Pilate, of course, was confused. He said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews. And they saith unto him, and then saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Because of all the confusion, Pilate didn't know what was true. He was in front of the person who embodied truth, but he couldn't tell because he had been confused by the mob, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus pointed out to us that the unforgivable sin is when we deny revealed truth, when we know the truth, but we refuse to accept it. This happened in the book of uh, Matthew. We can find this story of when Jesus cast out some devils and the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew for a fact that he had done it through the power of God. But let's read the story. Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. He was explaining to them that this was not making any sense. He could not have cast out the devil by the devil. But he was making the point to them, listen, I know what you're really thinking. The scripture says he knew their thoughts. He knew that inwardly they knew the truth of this situation. They knew the truth that he had cast out these devils only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to tell them something and tell us something about the nature of truth. Matthew 12, 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, in other words, the spirit of truth, shall not be forgiven unto men. There's a lot of confusion about this unforgivable sin, but really what it comes down to is denying revealed truth. It's knowing the truth absolutely in your heart, but saying or acting completely contrary to what you know to be true. So it's akin to trying to uh, wake up someone who's pretending to be asleep. You'll never succeed in that. Verse 32, And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh 
against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, some people want to say that the world to come doesn't mean that this forgiveness is not, or this unforgiveness by God is only temporary. Uh, but I would, I would say to them that the world to come is not speaking of the millennium, but the new heaven and the new earth, which means that it, if, if you cross that line of denying revealed truth, there's nothing more that God can do for you. You know the reality. He knows you know the reality. The only way that he's going to change you is to make you a robot. And that's not what God is going to do. You have chosen to go against truth. That is why that sin cannot be forgiven. In the Old Testament, there were many things that could not be forgiven, but all of them were against God in his spirit form. But there were sins that could be forgiven, and there was a sin offering uh, that was called the trespass offering, and that was a sin against your fellow man. That could be forgiven if there was full con confession and rest restoration. And when Jesus became a man, God use that for us to be able to have forgiveness against the Son of God because now he was in a human form. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them the trespass against us. But it's very clear in Scripture that there is a sin against truth where you're tying God's hands. It's not as if he has to persuade you he's real. It's not as if he has to persuade you of his greatness. You know this is true. He knows it's true. And he knows you know. So when the Pharisees did this, there was nothing more that God could do. They chose, as Peter says in another scripture, to be willingly ignorant. But people say, well, isn't everyone forgiven in the end? And usually they will give scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5.19 which says to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now I highlighted that because the word of reconciliation is not retained by God, it's given to us. He told his disciples, whoever sins you remit shall be remitted. Some people misunderstand this verse to make it a universal uh, reconciliation so that it doesn't matter what you do, in the end you're somehow going to be saved. Colossians 1.20, they use this one as well. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. But verse 22 tells you how in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And it is verse 23 that gives us the full understanding. And it's conditional. The reconciliation is conditional. Remember, this epistle was not to unbelievers. It was to people who had already accepted Christ those who had already chosen um, and believed in him. And here he's making it clear that what went before, the context is that this reconciliation 
is conditional. If he continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, what does he mean, preach to every creature? Well, in his uh, epistle to the Romans, he said, he, he was quoting from Psalms 19, where it says, there is no voice or language where God's creative works are not manifest. But that doesn't mean that every single person is going to be uh, saved, because it's conditional. We can see this modeled in the Old Testament in Moses, who was a great man who had obeyed God so thoroughly up until the time when he struck the rock twice. The Bible tells us that everything in the Old Testament was there for our learning and was a model and an example. The, the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt is a model for how we come out of sin. Their journey in the wilderness towards the promised land is a model for our journey right now. We are in temporary tents. They tabernacled in temporary tents. We're in the wilderness part of the journey. And when they crossed over the Jordan, they went into the promised land. So let's look at that and see what God was trying to tell us about the fact that not every single person is going to be saved. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 tells us this. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. In other words, they have tasted the truth. They known the truth of God and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now this is not talking about someone who just backslides. It's not a matter of you sinning. It's a matter of you saying it's all fake. There is no Holy Ghost. There is no God. After having known the truth of that, it's denying revealed truth. It's not about someone who stops coming to church or even does some great sin. But they would have to go beyond that. They would have to, in effect, strike the rock twice. It says, And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing... They crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. The Bible tells us that that rock that followed them was Christ. And when Moses was told to strike it the first time, it symbolized Christ's death one time. And out of the rock came water. Jesus was that rock. He told the woman at the well, out of, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Sorry, he, he said that at the at the Feast of Tabernacle, but he also told the lady that, listen, I have some living water that if you just knew who I was. So it's very clear that the rock in the Old Testament represented Christ. Now why am I saying this? Because Moses got so mad that he struck the rock twice. In other words, crucifying Jesus symbolically afresh. Hebrews makes the point clear that when you do that, there doesn't remain any more sacrifice for sin because Jesus is not coming back to be crucified again. And God made that point in denying Moses entrance to the promised land. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. 
For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So God was showing in his judgment on Moses what happens if you deny revealed truth. Moses knew what he was supposed to do. He knew he was not to strike it. God had told him to speak to the rock. And so God used his disobedience as an example for us as to what happens if we deny revealed truth. Deuteronomy 3.25. Even after that, Moses prayed and begged God, let me go over. In Deuteronomy 3.25, he said, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan and the goodly mountains and, and Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me. God was angry with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. It showed you how great God took the breaking of the symbol of Jesus being crucified once. And so people who say that uh, somehow everybody in the whole world will still be saved, doesn't really matter what you do, are listening to the wrong voice. First, Second Peter 3.3, 3, speaking about the people in the flood who chose, Paul says in Romans, to worship the creature rather than the creator. This is what deception will do. Some people are deceived, but some people willingly choose to be ignorant. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to investigate too deeply because it means they'll have to change their behavior. It means they won't be able to do what their flesh wants them to do. Second Peter 3.3 3 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5 is the important. For this they willingly are ignorant of, meaning they haven't really looked because they don't want to know, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, perished. Why did God do such a drastic thing? Well, in the New Testament, tells calls Noah a preacher. In other words, he proclaimed. He proclaimed righteousness for however long it took the ark to be built, maybe 120 years. But what was worse was these people knew the truth of the creation. They could have seen great, great, great grandfather Adam walking around. Adam lived to, I think, 930 years, and it's quite likely he was alive if you plot all of the ages down to his seventh generation. That means there were between tens and hundreds of thousands of people running around the earth who absolutely knew the story of Genesis. There was no doubt they knew there was a God to be worshipped, but they chose, as Paul says in Romans, to serve the creature rather than the creator. Peter here says, for they willingly are ignorant. They, they chose to do what they do. There was nothing God could do. He even gave them seven extra days. After they went into the ark, 
the rain did not come immediately. God shut the door, but there were seven extra days where nothing happened. But finally, judgment fell. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men, willingly ignorant. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made. What Paul is saying here is just looking at nature tells you there has to be a God, that you can't have nothing times nobody create everything, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, that's what I'm telling you about this deception, they knew God. They didn't have to guess whether there is a God. Paul is saying here, they knew God, they glorified him not. In other words, they made a choice. God will never override your choice. Now, there is a doctrine by the Calvinists, I believe, called irrefutable grace, in which some people are destined to be saved and some people are not. But, of course, that goes against all of Scripture and, and, and of course, God's basic nature. He gave them a choice. He gave them a choice. It says, for when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In fact, the same thing that happened to Satan. Once you reject truth, your wisdom becomes corrupted. You can't even see straight. You will accept all kinds of foolishness and errant doctrines. The Bible predicts that this would happen in the end times. In fact, in Daniel chapter 8, when Daniel is given some visions of the end times, this is one of the keystones of what is going to be happening, and I believe not too long from now. In fact, I'm sure it has started. Daniel 8, verse 9, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great, towards the south and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. And that is speaking about Israel. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. Now, Daniel 10 through 14 to me are some of the most amazing verses in Scripture if you understand them or if you read between the lines. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. This, so first of all, you know this is something supernatural. It, even to the host of heaven. And it cast some of the host and the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. But we're not going to go into the details of this, this chapter tonight. That's a whole other Bible study. But just listen to what it's saying. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now many people interpret this to, to mean the destruction of the first temple. I do not, but we will get into that in another Bible study. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And this is the verse I want you to pay attention to. And it cast down the truth to the ground. It cast down the truth to the ground. 
we're in the age of deception. And it's going to sound so believable, all the things that you're going to hear, but if it doesn't match letter for letter, precept upon precept, with the doctrine and the first church, that's the book of Acts church, and their teaching, be very suspicious of it, be suspect of it. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long? shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. Verse 14, And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be, be cleansed. And we're, we're not going to go into the details of all of that, but obviously it's speaking about the end times. But the point I wanted to make is, in Daniel 8.12, it's that truth would be cast to the ground. Satan's weapon is deception. Deception of life circumstances, but most of all, deception of what God's Word is saying. There's going to be all kinds of, the Scripture says, doctrines of demons. Deception that will question whether God's Word says what it means. Revelation 13:11 And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. Thessalonians 2:8 And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth because the spirit of his mouth is truth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose power whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. See, when, when you want to do your own thing, you don't want to hear the truth. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. It's going to sound so correct, so right that they should believe a lie. That they may be all damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what I'm saying is we're in the age of Antichrist, and so there's going to be all kinds of deception. All kinds of deception. Paul, when he was going, he says, listen, ravenous wolves are going to come in and try and destroy the sheep. Sometimes people... Um, are not are not they're not bad people, but they just don't know how to uh, go to the word to test to see if it is like the preacher is saying. That's why Paul called the Bereans more noble, and that's what you got to do today: is go and look up what is being said, look at the context, look at the meaning of the word. Don't take what anyone is saying. John two eighteen says, "Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come." Even now, there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. How do you deny the Father and the Son? By denying Jesus, because Jesus is the Father and Jesus is the Son. He is the Word made flesh. John 1.14 The Word was made flesh 
and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This whole month we've been studying worshiping, and the Bible says we have to worship. Those that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And that is the weapon that we're given. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Today, you have to make sure that you're prayed up in the spirit because there's coming such a whirlwind of of teachings and things that uh, look very good, but are they salvation? Our core salvation is, unless you're born of the water and of the Spirit, you can't enter or you can't see the kingdom of God. You know, it's, it's the spirit of truth against the spirit of deception. What makes us free? It's not just uh, the truth, but it's, let me read it. It says, John 8, 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. If you don't know the truth, then you can't be free. Amen. The spirit of Antichrist will be defeated by the truth. James 1.18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be, the, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And, of course, what separates us, John 17.17 17 says, Sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. The Antichrist and his deceptions that are energized by Satan are going to be defeated by the word of truth. And so with this lesson, I want you to pay attention. We need to follow what the gospel says was first delivered. Paul said, if I or an angel bring you any other gospel than that which was first delivered, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. We have to be very careful on what is the salvation doctrine. The salvation doctrine is that Jesus died, rose again, and through his death and burial and being born of the water and being born of the Spirit, that is taking on his name by baptism, and then him filling us and sealing us with his Holy Spirit, that is how we are saved. There is no other name. Acts 4.12. So, we have to be careful of all the things that will be coming down the road to try and deceive us because only the truth will survive. And the truth, of course, is not a concept. It's a person. The truth is Jesus Christ. John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's let that sit a moment. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If he had known me, he should have known my Father. And also from henceforth he know him and have seen him. 
Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus says so many profound statements in the chapter of John. But one I want to point out to you, he says, that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, when the role of sonship is finished, that would mean that no one can come to the Father because the scripture here says, no man cometh to the Father but through Jesus. The scripture tells us that there will be an end at some point when the when he hath put down all uh, the enemies that the role of sonship will be finished. So there will be no more way to come to the Father when that role is finished. In Revelation it says, He that is filthy or unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. There will be a cutoff date where if you have not chosen Jesus, it will be too late. Because truth is not just a concept, but it is a person. We're going to close this Bible study And we're going to pray that God's word will find good soil, that we will always choose the truth of Jesus Christ. If you could bow your hearts with me, Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Help us, O God, to not be uh, deceived in any way. Lord, to know the truth, hallelujah, because you are the truth. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, hallelujah, to reveal to us O God, as we study your word, that we will not stray to the left or to the right, but always towards you, hallelujah, and to your truth. We thank you for your blessings and your greatness, and we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name.